have you ever felt uh, completely alone? Completely wrecked like um, you were in a place of deep darkness? And then have you, maybe as a Christian, felt in that place like you were guilty or something? Like you felt guilty for feeling that way? Because aren't Christians not supposed to be in places of darkness? Aren't Christians supposed to have a hope in Jesus and have a a joy because we serve God? And shouldn't we be just filled with joy all the time? I mean, if you're thinking about singing songs, so maybe you've uh, been in a dark place and you felt like, I don't even know if I can go to church today. I, I don't know if I can sing those happy songs, those joyful songs. I'm just not feeling that right now. Because aren't Christians supposed to turn on the radio and Christian music is supposed to be positive and encouraging and uplifting and full of hope? But songs aren't always that way, right? I mean, when you listen to music or, or people sing, you find that music is a great way of uh, getting emotion out. And sometimes that emotion is joyful. Sometimes it's a great, like, celebration kind of song and you want to like play your summer anthem with the windows rolled down as you're rolling down the highway and you just yes this is the life I'm living it right now and other times you just are not feeling that way and you want to turn on something that just hits hard and music has this way of conveying both of those things music has a, a way of conveying even the deep and the dark that is within us. There's a song uh, that has come out relatively recently um, by Billie Eilish. It's called Everything I Ever Wanted. And in this, um, Billie Eilish was in a really dark place herself as she was writing this song. She was having dreams of um, committing suicide because she just was in this really dark place. And, and here's, here's what she says in her song. I had a dream. I got everything I wanted. Not what you'd think, though. And if I'm being honest, it might have been a nightmare to anyone who might care. I thought I could fly, so I stepped off the golden. Nobody cried. Nobody even noticed. I saw them standing right there. Kind of thought they might care. I tried to scream, but my head was underwater. They called me weak, like I'm not just somebody's daughter. Could have been a nightmare, but it felt like they were right there. And it feels like yesterday was a year ago, but I don't want to let anybody know, because everybody wants something from me now, and I don't want to let them down. And sometimes that's how we feel, like we are in this place of darkness, in this place of being all alone, in this place of hopelessness, and we don't want anybody else to know because aren't we going to let them down? Aren't we going to disappoint them somehow if they know how we're feeling right now? And when we go through the scriptures and you read through the Bible, what you find is that Christians experience all of the range of human life. Christians also experience that whole range, everything from the joy to the depths of darkness. 
And so we have been preaching through the Psalms. Every summer we uh, take a break from whatever it is that we have been preaching and we preach through the Psalms. I think this is our ninth year of doing this. And so we are now on Psalm 88 and you are in for a treat this morning, can I tell you? Because Psalm 88 is, uh, many would concur, the saddest of all the Psalms. This is how it begins. Uh, There's the title on Psalm 88 is that this is a song. We want you to know before we start that this psalm is a song. It's intended to be sung. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. These were worship leaders, people that would worship in the temple, and they were responsible for the musical elements of church, and and so they would write the songs, and maybe they would be commissioned, or maybe they would come up with it on their own, but somebody might come to them and say, this is how I'm feeling right now. Can you write a song that fits this? So this is a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalat Leonot, which is a tune that we don't know what that sounds like anymore. And it's a maskil of Haman the Ezraite. I don't know who Haman was. There were several of them in the scriptures, and it could have been one of them. And I, I don't think it really matters. That context doesn't matter for us to really understand this psalm. But I do want to point out that this is a maskil, which uh, for some of you, you go, oh, yeah, maskil. And some of you, maybe most of you, go, I know that we've talked about this before in previous summers, but it's been a while and I can't remember. A maskil is a wisdom psalm. It's a, a psalm that's meant to instruct. So this is the kind of psalm that you would learn from. You know, when you're reading uh, wisdom literature like the Proverbs or something, and you say, okay, this is deep wisdom, I'm going to learn from this, that's the kind of psalm that we have here. The saddest of all the psalms is what we are going to learn from. And here's, here's how this begins. As we get into the song proper, verse 1 of Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. He starts off by saying, O Lord, Yahweh, my God, my God, my personal God, the God of me, the God of my salvation, my God, my God who saves me, the one from whom I would expect salvation, you are the one I'm calling out to. And he begins his psalm in, I think, a very great way, because his psalm is addressed to God. His psalm is God-focused, and we will see that throughout this psalm, in the depths of his despair, his focus is yet on God. And so this psalm starts out really well, where he starts off by saying, O Lord, my God, my God of my salvation, I am crying out to you. In fact, he says, I'm crying out to you day and night. I'm crying out in the daytime when the sun is up. I'm crying out when the when it's dark outside and the moon is out and all we can see is by the light of the stars, I am crying out to you and I'm crying out to you all the time, Lord. I'm crying out to you all the time. 
I want you to know that I am looking to you for salvation. I'm not looking somewhere else. I don't expect that anybody else is going to be able to save me because, Lord, you are the God of my salvation and you are the one that I am calling to. God, would you help me? Please, please listen. Let my, let my prayer come before you. Let my prayer come before you. You know, when you really want something, you need something, and you go to somebody, and you're really hoping that they will receive what you're coming to them with, you're, they're hoping, you are hoping that they will accept your request. I, ha I, have this, I have this need, can you help me? And you're hoping that they will listen and that they will say, yes, I, will. I can help with that. I can help with that. And so he gives this in, in two parts, this uh, in Hebrew poetry, which uh, this is a song and also Hebrew poetry, and it would do lots of parallelism. And so you'd say one thing and then you'd repeat it in a different way. And so he says it this way, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. Incline your ear to my cry. Those of you who have children and you're out at the playground and you hear a cry and you and your spouse might look to each other, is that ours? Nope, it's not. Nope. That's a different cry. That's not one of ours. That's not one of ours. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, you are my God. I want you to recognize when I'm crying out, when I am in need, I want you to hear you know, you might be in conversation with somebody else, but I want you to, while you're in conversation with somebody else, you hear that cry and go, hang on, that, I, that needs my attention right now. And as parents, you've probably been in that place too, right, where it is yours. It is yours. And you hear that cry from the other room, or you hear that cry from outside, or you hear that cry from across the park. And it's that kind of cry that you go, I have to go now. You don't make any apologies no excuses, your mid-sentence or their mid-sentence, and you very rudely, if it was any other circumstance, just leave. Like run away from them. They're telling you the story and you just run away because you are running toward that cry. You hear that cry and you're running toward it. And that's what the psalmist is begging the Lord for right now. The psalmist is crying out to the Lord and he says, would you hear my cry? Would you incline your ear to my cry so that when I'm calling out to you, O Lord, O God of my salvation, when I'm crying out to you, I want you to hear what I'm saying and I want you to respond. Like a parent who loves their child responds, Lord, would you respond to me like that? O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Why? Because my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. Sheol is, is the grave. My, I, I, I'm so full of trouble that I just, I feel like I'm practically near death. I am despairing of life. I am so close to just being in the grave right now and I'm crying out to you. This is, I have been calling out. I don't want this to sound like just a, a last desperation plea, but rather I have been calling out and it's getting hopeless and it's getting dark and it's getting difficult and more and more so and so I am calling out to you, Lord, please, please, my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. My soul is full of troubles. This word full is like satiated. 
I, I, like you, you have been eating, you know, it's, you go over to somebody's house, uh, maybe you go to, over to your grandma's house, and grandma always provides lots and lots of food. And so there's all of this food, and you eat, and you eat, and it's so good, and there's this, and there's that, and there's the other thing, and you have all of it, and you, then you go back for seconds, and you really shouldn't, but you went back for thirds, and then she's like, oh, and I have pie, and you're like, I, I just, I can't, I am full. I'm full. And the psalmist is saying that about his troubles. I'm, I'm full, God. I'm, I, I'm full. I, I cannot handle anymore. My stomach can't take it. I just, I can't handle any more troubles, Lord. I am so, I'm so full. I'm so done. He goes on to say in verse 4, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. Those people that you dig the hole and you put them down into the pit because their life is no more. And there's nothing left for them in this world. And he says, I'm, I'm counted among them. I'm all done. I'm all done. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Oof. We started off, do you remember how we started off? I mean, because we, we went real fast. We started off with, oh Lord, I cry to you, the God of my salvation. There's almost, almost this tone of hope in that opening line. And then immediately it's like, I'm hopeful into the pit. I'm like, I'm like those who are already dead. I'm, I'm like those who have no strength left. You, you've been in those kinds of struggles, those kinds of difficult times where you're like, I, I've got nothing left. People talk about how they can, they can hardly get up to brush their teeth, to put on clean clothes or take a shower. It just is so difficult to get up and to do that because life is so hard for them right now. How can I go on with living when everything is stacked against me like this, when everything is so overwhelming? How can I continue to go on? I, I'm like a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like those that are slain and lie in the grave. It's, like it's, it's as though I'm already done. I'm like those, God, that you don't even remember anymore. Those, those people who have, have died and we just, we, even, we just even forgot about them. We don't see them anymore. They don't interact with us anymore. They have no influence on our life anymore. They are gone. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. His circumstances are so dire, so difficult. 
And he's crying out to the Lord, and he's going, Lord, please. I've been calling. I've been calling and calling. I've been calling and calling. And nobody heard. Nobody responded. Have you had that happen? Where you're, you get yourself stuck in a situation and you can't let go? You're, you're, you're trapped and you're like, help! Can anybody hear me? Help! Help! Can anybody hear me? Anybody at all? Can anybody get me any help? Please help! Please, please help! And that's where the psalmist is. It's in that place, that please, please help, that, that rising level of desperation, please help, please, please help, the, 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 in the voice. Louder, higher pitch, as if somehow that's going to help. And then he says in verse 6, you, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Selah. Selah is this pause. Take a moment and reflect. Pause for a moment and think in this wisdom instructional psalm. And you go, hold up now. Are you blaming God? Are you blaming God for how rough your life is, for how hard this is? The God of your salvation, your personal Lord? Are you blaming God? He says, you! Right? He had been in this place where he's just describing to God, God, I really need you to listen. I really need you to pay attention because I'm trapped under this thing and I need some help. God, God, help me please. Help me please. Please listen to the voice that is crying out to you, the voice of your child on earth, the one who is almost into the pit himself, getting squashed by this heavy load. Oh God, please help me because God, you did this. I didn't accidentally walk into this. I didn't accidentally get stuck under this load. You put me under this load, God. I'm overwhelmed. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of these waves. I feel like I'm underwater. I thought that someone might care. I tried to scream, but nothing And I feel like you're just standing by. You're overwhelming me, God. This stuff just crashes over me. And this kind of view of God, this idea that God might have brought this to us, goes against all of the American ideals of what we should believe about God, doesn't it? Hold up. No, no. We don't, we don't blame God for this. 
God is a loving Father. God takes care of us. God is compassionate and kind and generous and faithful and will never leave you or forsake you. He would not do this. This is what we know. It is blasphemous. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't accuse God of doing this to you. With the God that we know, this is like a Hallmark movie. You know, it may seem disappointing for a moment. We might shed a tear accidentally, but in the end, it's going to be glorious. I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm too righteous to blame God for my circumstances. But the psalmist isn't afraid to do that. The psalmist declares what we deep down know but don't want to acknowledge. That our faithful, loving, generous, compassionate God is omnipotent. That's why he's crying out to him. He's crying out to the omnipotent God because he knows, God, you can save me. And somehow we want to think that God is both the omnipotent God who can save us, but also the impotent God who accidentally let us get into this circumstance. As if God turned his eyes away for a moment and was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. How long have I been gone? That happened to you? Oh, let me help you. When we pray to the almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent God, we pray because we believe that he is able to fix those things. And if he is able to fix those things, then we recognize that he allowed them to happen. He brought them about. This is his fault. On a whim and a challenge from a friend this year, I started reading War and Peace. The goal was to get through it sometime this year. I finished it last week, and um, it's a little long. One of the things that Leo Tolstoy struggles with in that book is, are these great leaders, are they geniuses who by their will and strength and magnetism and the way that they forcefully led brought about wars according to their own will and desires and then won those battles based on their genius and intellect or did it kind of happen because of circumstance? Was it just sort of chance that these battles and wars came about? And then, did they win or did they lose because of their strength, because of their fortitude, because of the fortitude of their men, because of their genius and their war tactics? Or was it more just chance? And he struggles back and forth with this, and what he says is, these things came about because they had to come about. Because as you look at the circumstances of the the, the uh, relationships and situations and the people who were involved, they came about because they had to. That's the way it was going to go. And these people that we call geniuses or that we call great leaders uh, like Napoleon, they just happened to be there at that time. But these things all occurred 
because of the way that everything came. It just, it had to go that way. And when we recognize that, yes, the, way, the things that we talk about as chance, the things that we talk about as if uh, some sort of leader is causing these things to happen, what we recognize is that if there is an omnipotent God who is con- in control of the universe, the reality is that these things happen because God wanted them to happen. And the reason that we struggle with that so much is because we go, wait a second, time out, but God is loving. And how is it that if God is loving and if God is all-powerful and if God is faithful and kind and compassionate in all of the things that we describe him as, then how can I be in this deep pit? How is that possible? And so we try and remove the blame. And we don't hold God responsible for these things. But what if, in trying to avoid giving God the blame, we are therefore not giving Him the credit? What if we don't understand it and therefore don't want to accuse him of something because we, don't want to, because we don't understand it rather than because that's not how it is? What if? What if you were told, yes, this guy ripped them open and pulled out an organ? You'd go, That is terrible. How could they do that? What kind of evil person would do that? We called them a surgeon. They cut them open. They removed the cancerous mass. They closed them back up again. And it was a miserable thing to go through. And why did they do it? Because of their compassion and their love and their skill and their knowledge about what had to be done in order to bring about the good that needed to come about. And somehow there is a God that is in control of the universe that is doing things that I can't explain to you why he's doing it. I would love to be able to say, you know, as a pastor, let me explain it. Let me explain it. I'd love to be able to say, you know, if you just understood your Bible better, then you would know why these deep, dark things are happening to you. That's not what it is. Which is why the psalmist is crying out in the way that he is crying out, God, you did this to me. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I'm crying out to you and I'm asking you, I'm begging you, would you please listen this time and respond because I am in this deep, dark place right now and you are oppressing me. You have brought overwhelming circumstances on top of me. You have put me in the depths of the pit, verse 6. In the regions of dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves, Selah. Verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. 
You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. He's now blaming God not only for the circumstances that he feels in, but also for the abandonment of his friends. God, all of my friends have left me because of the things that you have done to me. There is no one here anymore. I am all alone. I'm all by myself dealing with and struggling with this. My eyes can't even see. You know when you're crying so hard, your vision is blurry, you can't even see? Your eyes are so tired because you've been crying so much. He's going, I, I, I feel like I can't even see through my bleary eyes. I feel trapped and alone and my friends are against me. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Every day I cry out. Every day I'm calling out. Isn't this amazing? This psalmist who is dealing with all of these struggles and yet is day and night crying out. He has one hope. He has one hope, that there is a God in heaven who will change these things. And now he's going to appeal. Oh God, every day I call upon you, oh Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Consider God. Think about it, God. Do you work wonders for the dead? Look, you've put me into the pit already. I've got one foot in the grave. I've got one foot in the grave, but I'm not dead yet. They haven't buried me yet. If I was in the grave, it, it would be too late for you then, God. Once I'm in the grave, it's too late for you to do anything then. Do the departed rise up and praise you? And yet I would. I would. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in Abaddon, the place of destruction? Is your steadfast love declared in those places? Is your faithfulness declared in those places? God, even though I'm in this deep, dark place, I'm still crying out to you. I still believe in your love. I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your power. I still believe in your ability. I still believe in you, God. And if you come and if you answer right now, if you do incline your ear to my prayer, I will be praising you. And if I'm dead, I can't do that. I can't declare how great and faithful you are while I'm in this place of darkness. I can't declare how great and powerful you are if I'm dead. But God, if you would answer, oh Lord, Lord, I would praise you. Oh, Lord, people would know. I pray this all the time. I pray this all the time. Lord, if you would answer these prayers, when you guys submit prayer requests, which I hope you do on the connection cards or online on the Sunday Hub, and the elders and the staff, we we pray for you. When we do that, one of the things I pray often is, Lord, if you do this, we will praise you. We will give you the credit for the results that they are asking for. And that's what he's saying. Are are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? 
Are these wonders made known through those who are dead? No, Lord, they're not. And so please, please respond. Please answer that I might proclaim and rejoice all the more and let everyone know what you have done for me. But I, O Lord, verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Despite the darkness, but despite the the, uh, hopeless situation, Despite the fact that he recognizes that all of this comes from God, yet he knows because it comes from God, God is also the one who can do something about it. And so he cries out. He continues to cry out. God, you can do it. You can do it. You can bring me the relief that I'm looking for. Verse 14. Oh, Lord, Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? I I ask you to please listen. I ask you, please, would you incline your ear to me, and instead you won't even show me your face. Have you had that happen before? You wanted to go ask somebody for something, and they wouldn't even look at you? You went to customer service, you said, can I talk to the manager? They went, I'll go see if he's in. They go to the back, they come back, yeah, he won't talk to you. I know I don't even have a chance in getting my request answered if I can't speak to the person face-to-face, if they won't even look at me. Sometimes you're in those awkward situations where you've done something foolish and one of your friends is standing over there and you look over at them like, please help me, and they look away. I don't know you. I'm stuck, I'm all by myself. Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. There is nothing I can do. From the time that I was young, there's nothing I've been able to do. I've been struggling for a long, long time, Lord, and I'm still crying out. I'm still asking for your help. But if you're against me, Lord, then what can I do? Who's going to save me from your hand? Who's going to deliver me from the weight that you have put on me? No one else can lift it. Only you can lift that burden from me, Lord. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. I am at your mercy. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, and my companions have become darkness. I am so alone. The only friend I have is the darkness of my solitude. The only thing I experience is the overwhelming burden of your wrath. I am drowning completely 
surrounded like a flood all day long. It's closed in on me, and I am all by myself. And that is the end of Psalm 88. It was almost hopeful for like four words. O Lord, God of my salvation. How many words is that? Six? O Lord, God of my salvation. We started off there, and then we free fell. Right into the pit, and didn't bother stopping at the ground. We fell all the way to the bottom, and then the earth piled in on top of us. The end. And I want you to know that you can believe in God, you can have faith in God, and feel this way. There will be times that you may feel completely oppressed, completely hopeless, completely dark, and even in those places it is appropriate to cry out to God and recognize that He is the God of salvation. Yes, this may be a result of His action, but He can remove it too. And I finish this psalm, and I see the psalmist, and I see his despair, and I see that we end there, and that we should learn something from it. And what I learn is that God is in control. He is in control of the great, and he is in control of the awful. He is still there. And there are times when we will feel as if he does not understand, as if he does not hear, as if he does not care. But I have to ask myself also, as we end this psalm, does the psalmist have the full or is there more? And so rather than just being done here, I want to say, yes, there is more that the psalmist doesn't see. Because there are many faith traditions who take this psalm as a Good Friday psalm. Why is this a good Good Friday psalm? Well, because Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday and experienced these same things. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that place of darkness, Jesus experienced all of the things that the psalmist was experiencing here. In that moment, Jesus was in darkness, completely abandoned by his friends, suffering very near to the grave. And feeling as if even God the Father had turned his face away and would not listen to his cry. And do you know how amazing that is? Because how is it that we can have a gracious and compassionate God who also brings about all of these difficult circumstances in our lives? How can we say that he is compassionate and gracious and faithful if we still experience these things and then we see this in Jesus? 
That he, seeing our plight, became a man. God himself became a man and endured these same things so that he could sympathize with all of our experiences. When we say Christians experience the full range of a human emotion and experience from the highs to the very lows, but they experience them with God and not only with the God of heaven, but also the God who, ex- who has experienced those same things. This is the hope that we have. This is the compassion and the faithfulness and the love that we see in God who saw our plight and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to experience the same thing. I am going to become a man. And I am going to point you toward the hope of heaven. And I am going to endure all of the ridicule, all of the mocking, all of the rejection the beatings, the crucifixion, I am going to uh, experience all of it so that the God of the universe can empathize with you. This is the picture that the psalmist didn't have. As the psalmist is going, God, where are you? And God says, yes, I know. I know. I have experienced it too. I know that it is hard. I know that you can't see why. I know that you don't understand the beauty of all that I am doing in in the history of my creation. I know that you don't see it, but I want you to know that I understand it. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. I also have gone through the same things. And I have done it because of my love for you. I have done it so that you might know how loved you are. Because all of the depths that we have felt, Jesus felt those same things. He didn't have to, but he chose to. So that he could sympathize with us and he took on all of the wrath of God to set us free from it all the way down to the grave, so that when we go back and we revisit these verses in 9, 10, 11, and 12, the psalmist said, Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. And then he asks these questions. Verse 10, Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? And Jesus says, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. Yes. The answer to all of those questions is yes. I do work wonders for the dead. I do. The departed do rise up to praise me. My steadfast love is declared in the grave. My steadfast love and faithfulness is declared in Abaddon. My wonders are known in the darkness. My righteousness is known in the land of forgetfulness because I have been there and I have made it known. And so there is hope all the way down to the grave. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this in verse 20, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? 
But, what if, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. There wasn't any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my, no, my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but I do one thing, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is our hope as well, that we know that our Savior Jesus has suffered all of the things that we have suffered. And that when we are suffering, we have a God who is faithful and compassionate, and maybe he will bring about resolution in this life. Maybe he will turn it around, and when he does, we will praise him and proclaim, look at what the Lord has done for me today. And if he does not, yet we know that he is still good, he is still compassionate, he is still faithful, because he has given his son to endure all that we endure, to die on the cross on our behalf so that we can live in eternal glory with him. This is what we pursue for. This is what we are looking forward to from today and all of eternity. Let's pray. Oh God, you never leave our sides. Oh God, there are times that we feel completely overwhelmed completely helpless and powerless, and we know that you are not impotent, but are an omnipotent God. All-powerful. And so we cry to you, and we say, Lord, would you deliver us from our troubles? And so, Lord, I ask for those who are here today, would you incline your ear to their prayers, that when they cry out to you, you might hear them and you might respond, and we might praise you for your answering our prayers. 
And Lord, we ask that even if you do not answer our prayers in the way in which we would want, that yet we might look to you, that we would not look anywhere else for our salvation, but that we would continue to entrust ourselves to you as Jesus did, knowing that you do love us and that in the end you will show yourself to be faithful. And we ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.